Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Trenaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. It's our 25th episode. Join Roger as he gives a brief overview of our podcast so far and shares his views on the remainder of 2020. A special thanks to our regular listeners as we now mark one year since our first podcast. When we began in 2019, we started building a knowledge foundation so we could all better understand economic growth issues, misconceptions of inflation measurements, the tools our country developed to fight recessions and depressions, and pending future threats to job creation and successful investing. Our series of podcasts then generated a free six-week online class we now offer four times a year with updated information and observations each time. We have undertaken these efforts to help you understand and prepare for future change rather than be surprised or shocked by it with no preparation. Sadly, COVID-19 effectively fast-forwarded and amplified emerging issues we had identified in late 2019 through January-February of this year. For example, in late 2019, we were one of the first sources to publicly identify rapidly growing stresses in the global repo marketplace. And as you recall, this repo marketplace facilitates banks taking their U.S. government bonds, which most banks own plenty of, and borrowing against them short term to meet their reserve requirements. This repo marketplace began to be locked up last September, and we began to question whether or not some large global banks were in trouble. And as we began to question it and research it, we really found out that we were not wasting our time. This early identification of the repo market issue led us to the likelihood that uh, one or two non-U.S. banks were in trouble and that the trouble would spill over into the U.S. credit markets. And that in turn would impact Federal Reserve policies and it would keep interest rates near zero. And actually, this has happened. I don't particularly want to mention the names of these banks again, although I did in prior podcasts. In any event, the canary in the coal mine led to our brief discussions about the global power of the Federal Reserve. And the Fed effectively has taken responsibility for global financial stability. This is responsibility that other central banks cannot do because of the regulatory and legislative structure of their powers. For example, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan does not have the vast powers that were given in 1913 to the U.S. Federal Reserve by Congress. It's not an exaggeration to conclude that we in the U.S., through the Federal Reserve, pretty much directly control the so-called Western world credit markets liquidity, and future stability. As another example, we pointed out the structural changes occurring in our job marketplace due to artificial intelligence, robotics, 5G with 6G to follow, and the rebuilding of a U.S.-centric supply chain. COVID is likely compressing many long-term structural changes that we were expecting over years into the short term, and the short term may be a year or two. 
More specifically, higher levels of training and education are now needed to provide higher levels of income and occupational security. Or to say it another way, those maintaining lower skill levels will face seriously troublesome income-producing opportunities in the near future as well as the long run. COVID has the potential to take away as many as 10 million jobs in the United States for many years, if not for good. Entry-level employees accustomed to low but steady incomes in the restaurant industry, as an example, now have to deal with the likelihood that 50% or more of the nation's restaurants that have been closed will never reopen. Millions of retail employees, in addition to the restaurant employees, may be permanently displaced by AI and robotics, and these technologies are driving Amazon, Walmart, Target, and other large online-focused distributors. Additionally, the U.S. Postal Service is having to reduce employment and facilities as private sector delivery companies replace their traditional approaches. And finally, I guess as the icing on the cake, many facilities workers have been furloughed and, if not, will be facing job losses as companies reduce their brick-and-mortar locations. The point is that without COVID, these trends, they were already in place. They were just less visible and they were more gradual. Now they are visible. I personally expect them to gather momentum. Let's move to another trend. I'll call it social stability. I'll include law and order in social stability. We've seen and or read about social instability in many countries over past decades. It all seemed so remote when we were reading about other countries. But for us, we could start most anywhere in our 250 or so year history, but let's start with the Great Depression. Riots plagued the major cities in the 1930s, as many, just as now, were unemployed. And back then, job prospects year after year during the 1930s seemed remote or hopeless. I totally believe that high unemployment coupled with low job prospects combined to be a serious challenge for social stability anywhere on the planet, including here. In the 1930s, many concerns about democracy and free markets were seriously challenged. European Nazis and fascists, in my view, likely funded the rioters in Chicago, New York, and other American cities with the concern that these so-called movements would gain momentum. It's pretty easy to find examples in that period of history where there was a concern that our democracy would continue to be sustainable. Today, with high unemployment, concerns of future entry-level and service industry job opportunities, low personal savings, and the high cost of beginning apartment rental rates force us again to face uh, understandable pain, and that's being expressed particularly in the areas of lower income earning individuals and families. Since the Great Depression, we've witnessed uprisings and even revolutions in many countries. Plus, societies run by dictators and traditional socialists. Fortunately, America, through more than 40 recessions and depressions throughout our history, emerged each time stronger from the many threats of disruption, including periods of high unemployment. And by the way, toward the end of the 1800s, we as a country lived through a depression 
that lasted much longer than the Great Depression, with even higher levels of unemployment. Yes, there were also serious riots on and off for about 20 years. This history is not as recent or popular as the Great Depression, as, uh, well, for one reason, all the citizens experiencing the late 1800s are long gone, but the books and research are available to anyone so interested. This series of podcasts and our free course were born out of the need for real-time information, as no books or research projects on our present challenges will be available until years from now. We want to help you now, as waiting for a more complete analysis in 2024 or 2025 or later isn't any help now. So where are we now at the end of September, and what's dead ahead? Well, for one thing, the election is dead ahead. Okay, so what are the implications? We'll soon find out, won't we? I'll share my expectations, and you can give me my final grade on this homework in two or three months. First of all, in my view, the election will not resolve our social instability, although I wish it would. No matter who wins as of November 4th, we can expect a continuation of challenges, riots, and lifestyle disruptions. A possible positive outcome for the long run might be the splintering of the major parties may be resulting in three or four political parties, much as we see in many European countries. And in these European countries, coalitions among the parties are forced, as no one political party can be expected to have the substantial leadership powers without the collaboration or support of at least one more, less powerful party. Unfortunately, the upcoming election is sure to establish more battle lines and more issues in the daily lives of all of us voters. The good news is that America has experienced and overcome similar issues in our past 250 or so years, and we've grown stronger. I would not bet against history. We'll face more discomforts, but we'll emerge stronger. Despite the well-earned long-term optimism, the short-term, especially the remainder of 2020, will be treacherous for many, and I include from today's entry-level job seekers to our millions of small businesses to those investing for retirement. Bankruptcies, despite all the Fed actions, are running higher than the 08-09 Great Recession and will seriously impact opportunities for the next year and more. Small businesses historically create 60 to 70 percent of all the jobs in America. And right now, with bankruptcies filling the pipeline, the die is cast. Most small businesses were not reached by the Fed and Congressional Assistance Programs. And the banks? They're adverse to lend them working capital or even longer-term financial needs. In my view, these issues are now baked in to the future economy. Cities, states, and counties are operating at higher and higher deficits, forced to cut services while trying to increase taxes. These issues are just starting to surface, despite the Fed actions to buy tranches of municipal bonds. And many of these tranches are in the larger cities, and the larger cities have maybe more issues than the Federal Reserve can handle, and we've talked about that. Commercial and retail real estate owners are sinking deeper into debt, threatening bond owners, 
banks, and even stockholders. As a stopgap, some of the largest mall owners, for example, concluded that they are better off trying to borrow and buy the major tenants like JCPenney, Forever 21, and other large retailer assets rather than live through the impact of mall closures or bankruptcies. Tranches of collateralized debt obligations or large real estate packages of mortgages and loans are in the process of substantial downgrades by Moody's, Standard & Poor's, and others, and defaults occurring in process are pushing banks and certain mutual funds into substantial credit losses. The Fed will backstop the banks, I have no doubt. But supporting mutual fund investment losses is highly unlikely in my view. Pension funds face a triple whammy. They have invested directly and indirectly into problem real estate securities, similar to that just mentioned. They also are not getting the additional contributions needed to properly fund them for their future pension liabilities. And as we mentioned, cities, counties, states just don't have the money as a result of lower tax collections. Additionally, pension funds are not, and for years have not, been earning their targeted returns to allow future payments to future retirees. All of this is to say that between now and year-end, regardless of election results, the stock, bond, real estate, and currency markets may well exhibit record levels of volatility. In finance, volatility equals risk. We talked about risk in the prior podcast. High volatility equals high risk. I hope I'm wrong, but between now and year-end, there is limited upside in these markets and incredibly large downside. If and when the large pools of money managed by as few as a few hundred global money managers decide to even temporarily change their investments to lower their U.S. financial risks, we can well witness market sell-offs that may prove too large for the Fed to control. And Even if the Fed can control large sell-offs by creating even more dollars, the bond and stock markets can become even more volatile. As mentioned in the prior podcast, my own risk mitigation is to wait in the wings from now through the election through a few months to see the after-effects of the election. Is this the right thing to do? We'll find out in three months or so. I'm not giving financial advice. I'm just being transparent about how I see financial risk. I'll either preserve my capital and reinvest at better prices later, or alternatively, I may reinvest later and pay some higher prices. My own priority is to protect my savings and past investment gains. For that, I'll risk missing higher market prices, which have a lot of obstacles to surmount, as was just discussed. And finally, I'd like to mention, please do join our free course that expands greatly on our podcasts. Go to www.uclaextension.edu, scroll down the homepage to No Cost Educational Resources and Tools, and click on the box. Scroll down to the page and click on the 2020 Panic, What's Next? Navigating Panics, Recessions, and Recoveries, and then just enroll. So once again, be well, be safe, be financially careful. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension 
and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research, so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses, taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners, to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.